We're going to Romans 8. Romans 8, and we're trying to answer this question again. Number four, what can I expect from God? We're going to be in Romans 8. Go to your table of contents there, my Bible 1070, uh, where we find the book of Romans. We're going to chapter 8. Um, this question, uh, you know, I was reflecting on this the other day. I thought when I first rolled this out, the four great questions, what is there a God? If there is a God, what is this God like? And then if we know what this God is like, then what does this, what can I expect? What, what does this God expect from me? And then the fourth question, what can I expect from this God? I figured this takes about eight weeks. Boy, <laughs> this thing just kept growing and growing. In fact, I'm honestly now I've had several people. I'm going to, I'm going to write a book on this. I'm taking these notes and I'm going to write a book. I'm going to condense it so it won't be 9,000 pages, but uh, condense it down. Because this question, what can I expect from God? Uh, I think there are lots of people who are in sorrow and difficulty at times because people have told them all kinds of things they can expect that really have no foundation in reality or have no support in Scripture. And so that can be a very painful experience for people, that their expectations, if you will, are not met because somebody told them some harebrained idea that doesn't really have that. And so this question, what can I expect from God?, uh, I, I, when, when I was writing this and working with this, it made, me, it made me think about this. I sort of grew up in a church. I don't know if you did in this regard. I grew up in a church that mostly all of the talk about commitment was on my end. That it was how committed to God am I? You know, how, how committed to God am I? How, how faithful am I to Him? How could, and and there's, there's a part of that certainly in the Scripture. But one of the things I began to learn and study from Scripture is that one of the things I can expect from God is that He's committed to me. In fact, the Christian life, I think, has to be lived out of and in the strength of understanding God's incredible commitment to me or to you. And, and that sort of idea began to work on me years and years ago, and I kept thinking, well, of course, Cliff, that's what the Christian life is built in, that whenever you and I rebelled against God, Romans 5, 8 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ, what? Got mad at us. <laughs> no, for while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That, that God took the initiative. God was committed to the human race. And so this, this notion of, of, of being committed to us, of, of being uh, supportive of us was something I just didn't hear. Now, you know, it's very possible. There are lots of things I was doing in church besides listening uh, as a kid. But the idea of what can we expect from God because of his commitment to us uh, seems to me to be a, a, a very significant and important question. If, if I live my life, if, if you do, if I live my life or you live your life thinking that all this depends on is my commitment to God, I think you're going to have a very sorrowful experience. You know, in my own marriage with Becky, in our relationship, one of the wonderful things I know is that Becky is committed to me, no matter how I act. She, she told me years ago, she said, uh, you know, Cliff, uh, I'll stay with you, I'll live with you, I'll, I'll be committed to you no matter what you do. Well, I didn't say, oh boy, I'm going to start dating now, you know. Right. Uh, uh, you know, so, so the idea was, I thought, here, here is her commitment to me that generates or encourages and helps my commitment to her. So, so I, I think we've got to have this. What can you expect from God? His commitment. So what is his commitment? We've talked about this quickly. I'm in a hurry. You know, when I say that, I don't mean it. Right. But uh, no. I don't know what that word means. Uh, one is we've talked about we're, finish, we're, we're done with this, but in Romans 8, I want to suggest to you, it's my, my opinion, you don't have to agree with it. Romans 8 is the Christian life. You, you, want, to, you want to know what the Christian life is? Go read Romans 8. Just stay in it. 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 Because it begins, if you will, with no condemnation. And it ends at, at chapter 8, no separation from the love of God. That's kind of the way it's gathered up. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus set me free from the law of sin and death. And there is no separation from the love of God. And so here's that great chapter. And so what we've looked at in, in, in uh, 8, 1 to 13 is a power full life. And I gave you this quote. I think it's important for us to keep. That life in the flesh in Adam is where you and I are the soul. A little word, word play there. The sole source of power. 
in our lives. That a powerful life is not life in Adam or own strength, it's life in the Spirit. And so Paul does a good deal, I think, of work there where he's discussing that a powerful life, if you will, is this matter of being empowered or led by the Spirit. We've discussed that. Second is a particular life. That's found in Romans 8, 14 to 17. That's where we're going today. It's a particular life, a, a particular kind of life that uh, we want to understand. What, is, what does it look like? Now, you know, uh, this uh, idea uh, has to do with there are some markers or some specific aspects, if you will, of what the Christian life looks like or what I can expect from God, a particular life. The first one here is this. I'm moving today. Guidance. Because we've worked over a little bit this. Notice here in verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading, there's the word again, to be led, to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. This particular life, I would suggest, is this matter of being led. I'm using the word guidance. We're going to look at this here in a moment. I said last week, and um, I want to try to think about this. What would you like? Would you like to be led in your investing life by being led by Warren Buffett? Anybody volunteer for that? Yeah. Any, anybody? And this is a little nerdy here, so you may not everybody get this, but would you like to be led in your Bible study by N.T. Wright? You know, one of the greatest New Testament scholars in the world. Now, would you like to be led in your leadership capacities by Bill Hybels or Nelson Mandela? Would you, would you like to be led in your life by the Spirit of God? That's what it says right here. So that we have this understanding here in guidance. Got it right here. This is a thought that comes to me. We were talking to some friends after church that whenever a father or a mother puts their hand down toward a child, what does the child seem to instinctively do? Reach for it. Go up with it like that. This idea here of being led, God taking the initiative, he's committed to us. His commitment is to say, Cliff, I'll lead you. My hand goes up in the same way, if you will, that I'm being led. So this particular life is a life of guidance. Now, in your Bible, uh, depending on your translation, I'd like for you to look at verse 14. In the American Standard and in the Greek New Testament, the first word in that section or that verse is for. For. Now, that word for uh, suggests uh, support. Uh, it's used here in that function grammatically to support something. For instance, um, it says this, Jesus loves me, this I know. How do you know that? For the Bible tells me so. So this is what I know about this, and the word for signals some evidence for this. So it says, for all those who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. I want to suggest, just for your own study, you can go back and listen to my recordings, that this being led by the Spirit goes in two directions. It goes back to verses 8, 1 to 13. That's what it looks like to be led by the Spirit. And it goes forward in 14 and 15. We'll look at that. 14 and 15. So that this word here of being led, if you're being led by the Spirit, you can think about that that word for their signals that is both previous to that, 8, 1 to 13, and also 14 and 15. So it's being guided. I think I have this on your handout here, that Christianity has always been more of a trust walk than a belief system. A trust walk than a belief system. Faith depends on who we follow, and that depends on who we love. I'm going to do something here this morning. I, again, I was working in class at the university on this matter about Faith, if you will, a faith walk. I'm going to come back and do this in, in the future, but it occurred to me the other day, you can write a note here on Galatians 5, 6, where, where Paul makes this statement where he says there, that circumcision doesn't matter and uncircumcision doesn't matter, but faith working through love. You, you ought to go read that. That, that. that circumcision doesn't matter and uncircumcision doesn't matter either way, but faith Working through love. If we're being guided by the Spirit, it's more of a faith trust walk. And who we follow depends on who we love. Let me just ask you to consider this. 
I grew up believing and being taught that if you have faith, you will what? Obey. Yeah. There it is. If you have faith, trust, you'll obey. There's certainly truth to that. Romans 1, 6 says, we bring about the obedience, 1, 7, we bring about the obedience of faith. Faith without works is dead. I've, but, but here's where I want to press a little bit. Let's think about this the other day. That if Galatians 5, 6 there, and I'm trying to connect this, that it's faith working through love, that it looks more like this. Faith that is generated or energized by love that brings about obedience. This top one, in my opinion, is the faith of the elder brother. I'll obey you if it kills me. I'll do it and I'll keep a record of it. I'll do it and you'll know about it when it comes time. That this idea of the Christian life of being a trust walk where I'm following, I'm being led. Why would I let anybody lead me other than I love them? To me, this is a critical piece that I miss somewhere along the line. Because even Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. Right? How many times have I been up here in this area where I knew it was the right thing to do and I understood the right thing to do and I was convinced it was the right thing to do and the only reason I did it because I was convinced, not because there was love at the piece of it. So I just want to ask you to consider that as we're talking about this thing, about being led, about being led. I think this is, it, you know, you, you don't have to agree with this. I think this is more rule. I think this is more rule, religion, and this is what I call relation, what well, anybody might call it, not just me, relationship religion. That's rule. You're convinced. Let's think about this. And heard a guy say this the other day that when we're being led by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, it's because of who we love. It's because of who we love and value. That, that being led, if you have rules, you can sometimes forget them, huh? If you have rules, sometimes you misunderstand them. If you have rules, you sometimes don't know how to keep them all straight. It's probably what happened to the Pharisees. Or if you have a relationship of love where you're following. Let me give you an example. When uh, Becky and I finally decided to get married, or she laid the law down to me, <laughs> she said, we're either getting engaged or this is over. And I said, you're putting a lot of pressure on me here. We've only dated a year and eight months. <laughs> I'm a slow decision maker. <laughs> Some of y'all know it took me four years to buy another car. <laughs> so I'm just slow. I like to think it through. Anyway, when she put the ultimatum down, dropped the hammer on me, I said, okay. So we decided we set a date. And my family who lived in Kentucky, we met in Wichita. I came up from Houston. And we met in Wichita to go to the wedding. Uh, and so as we met, we spent the night. The next day, we made it to Pratt. Easy. There's a highway that goes right through there. We made it to Dodge City. We were doing fine. We got west of Dodge City, and suddenly everything looked the same. I'm not kidding you. And I remember we're driving along, and my dad is following me. And after two or three turns making a circle, I realized we didn't know where we were. So I stop the car and my dad gets out and we stand there talking like we know what we're doing. You know, we're talking, well, what do we do? I don't know. I mean, listen, I'm from Houston. I don't know west, east, north, south. I know left, right, straight, back. Okay? That's all I know. I mean, I really don't. Because if the sun isn't over setting, I have no idea what direction we're in or coming up. So we're sitting there on the side of the road. We're, 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 we're trying to find our way around. And all of a sudden, this pickup truck drives up. Just out of nowhere. And the guy gets out and walks over to his, you guys lost? <laughs> I thought this is a very friendly area for, some, you know, of course, I'm looking for, you know, three other guys to come out and whack us on the head. And I said, yeah, we, we sort of are. And he said, where do you need to go? And I said, well, I, and this is ironic. By the way, if you think this is uh, bad on me, I want you to talk to David Eden Fatkin, who came out to Becky's dad's funeral who went out with all the directions they had and got lost. 
Okay, right, Eden? Happened to them. It happens to everybody that goes out there. Yeah. Happens to everybody. You can't follow directions out there, right? I'm serious. It's just like crazy. They, yeah, uh, say it, Dave. Louder, louder, Dave. What? <clears throat> Unstar could not find him to get to that church, just for you. Yeah. So directions are useless, right? And so we got to get the Pleasant Prairie Church, which is ironic in itself. Right next door to Pleasant Prairie Church of God, where we got married, is a feedlot of 100,000 cattle. And, and, and it don't smell like money. Now, I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. And so this guy says, you need to go to Pleasant Prairie Church. Okay. Come to find out this is Becky's uncle. I mean, they're more Alex on the census, you know. I mean, they've got all kinds of backgrounds, 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 Alexanders. And they're, they're thicker than people out there. He says, uh, you need to go to Pleasant Prairie Church. He said this, I can give you directions or you can follow me. What do you think I did? Listen now. This is where we get in trouble. We got rules and directions. This is where we get confused. We need somebody to follow. I'm not saying that you don't have some ideas from Scripture, but when we got behind Dwayne and his pickup, all the stress and all the problems left us because we knew all we had to do was follow Dwayne. Just follow him. I don't have to make anything up. So, so when Paul says this, he says, look, if you're led by the Spirit. This is so much better than just getting directions or having principles or having a list of things I do every day. It is to open my life. It's to open your life to the direction of the Spirit. And I said last week, and I'm hurrying here, I promise. I'm not really, but anyway. Um, <laughs> where we're not being led. Notice where it says right here. For you are not being led. You're not being led to a spirit of fear again. Look at that. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. So you're not, if you're being led by the spirit, I mean, we say, well, Cliff, what does that mean? Well, you're not being led into fear. You're not being led into fear again. This, this, this assumes some things. You know, 1 Timothy 1, 7 says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. This kind of fear that Wesley used to talk about that was paralyzing paralyzing kinds of fear. Oh, God's going to get me. Uh Oh, something's going to happen to me now. People talk to me. I talk to people all the time and they, they'll talk about how they feel like if they've done something wrong, something bad's going to happen to them. I want to say to you, that's not the spirit that's trying to lead you. Paul says, right, you didn't receive that spirit to lead to fear. Notice the word again, again. That must have been where we were before. You know what? This is, again, Cliff's theology you're working out. But it says you've not received the spirit of fear leading to fear again. The scripture does seem to suggest that when we first, well, Wesley said it, John Wesley said it this way. There are people today that he calls that are asleep spiritually. Have all kinds of peace because they're asleep. They don't know anything about their condition. And they're, 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 as my dad would say, happy as a clam. And then when we become awakened to our need for Jesus, the law shows us our need for Jesus. And so we're convinced. I've told you I think that's a better word than convicted. We're convinced of our need. Here's where the problem I see in my own life, I've unpacked it. That because there was some anxiety and fear of realizing where I was spiritually, somehow I didn't get disconnected from that. And I think of this song, Amazing Grace. It was grace that taught my heart to fear. That's where I stopped. But it goes on to say what? But grace my fears relieved. See, maybe Paul is saying that when you first became a, when you first realized you need to become a follower of Jesus, there was some anxiety or fear for my sin or for my failure or my life. 
but you're not to stay there. It was grace that taught my heart to fear to say, there's something here that needs to get fixed. You need to turn your life over to Jesus. But now it's fear relieved. You've not received the spirit of slavery. Slavery was a big deal back in Jesus' day. It didn't have anything to do with ethnicity. It had to do with whether you got conquered by somebody. And the slave, one, one writer said at some time in the Roman Empire that over 80% of the people in the Roman Empire were slaves. Because slaves were conquered people or they were people that got into debt that couldn't pay their bills and they sold themselves into slavery. Now, what, what's the characteristic of a slave? It's that they live by their production. A slave's value and importance and import is what can you do for me? I want to ask you a question. Look here. Wesley wrote on this again when he said, there are people who have the spirit of the slave. They're awakened to their need. They understand their need. But they live by the sweat of their brow and the production of their life. And I've asked myself this and I've asked my students. Do you have the spirit of the slave? Or do you have the spirit of the son? Here's how you can know. I think. Do your best in something. You know, do your best. You know, try to. Say, I'm going to be doing this or doing that. And it doesn't work out. It doesn't go well. And you feel far from God. You got the spirit of the slave. You got the spirit of the slave. You feel far from God now. He's not happy with you. He's upset with you. He's maybe going to make your washing machine blow up. <laughs> I remember people say all kinds of stuff. I mean, I've heard people say, God's going to be sick or... You know, and I'm saying, well, why? Well, you know, this, I did this and it didn't, didn't, didn't work out. The spirit of the slave. The, the spirit of the slave is that spirit that says you got to earn your keep. And when you don't, you're in trouble. The spirit of the slave is characterized by, by earning and production. There's something I've been, I've, been, I've been doing, and I don't have time to unpack it because I want to. I got Dick Greenlee coming up here in just a second to come. Dick, you want to come up this way? We'll save some time. Come on up here. I want him to talk about something here. There is in this thing what he says you've not received the spirit of slavery to fear again. I, I just want to roll this idea out for you is that some people, I think, have what we call the orphan spirit. You can't belong. You, you, you don't really belong there. You, 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 there's something you're unattached, that, that you're just kind of on the periphery. What does Paul say where we are led? And this is where I want Dick to talk to us here. Where are we being led? Where are we being led? What does it say there? What does it say there? But we received the spirit of what? Adoption of sons while we cry, Abba, Father. Now, adoption was a big deal in the ancient world. I'll talk about it later. But Dick, I wanted Dick to tell you about his life, how Dick was adopted, and how it changed his life. Thanks, Cliff. Well, he's, he started this class with two retractions. I can't imagine next week with me talking. <laughs> it could be a long, yeah. So, uh, Thoughts and opinions of these teachers are not necessarily thoughts and opinions across the community church. It's elders or leadership. Uh -huh. So now we can say whatever we want. Yeah. So I was um, adopted. Uh, I, I found out uh, my parents who raised me were really open about that. I had an older sister that was adopted and she never got it. She was always restless and wanted to find her real parents. And so that was really hurtful to my parents who raised me. And so to me, it really didn't matter. And as I, as I got older, I found out what the story was. I had some health problems. I wanted to go back and actually try to find uh, my paternal parents. And the state of Michigan doesn't allow that. So they send us no, what they called non-identifying information. So I found out that my mother was 19 years old. She was a stewardess, a, a German gal. And my father was uh, what they called Persian. And he was attending Harvard, and you can imagine 19-year-old attending Harvard, uh, 
flight attendant, stewardess, and here I am. <laughs> Don't even need much of an imagination for that. And yeah, see, that's that's one. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, I, I, my parents, you know, when I, when I imagine adoption, I always imagined a room about this size, full of babies, just rows and rows of babies, and my parents coming and walking up and down the rows and holding them and coming to me, oh, this is it, this is the one. And I come to find out my mom says she got me on the sale table. <laughs> the heck is that? So, anyway, um, so as, as adopted, I, and I had the rare opportunity of being adopted twice, adopted once into a family that loved me, didn't raise me as a, as a Christian, we were as a non-Christian home, wasn't hostile towards it, they were just Unitarian, which believes about anything you want to believe, so, and God wasn't one of them, and when I, when I came to know Jesus at age 19, um, I was adopted, I was adopted again instantly at 19, and what that meant to me was huge, because um, imagine if in, in 1958-59, imagine a mother pregnant, un, unwed, imagine what that is. She lost her job, you know, she's a flight attendant, she, you know, and the shame that was involved in that, and she could have kept me, but I I've just assumed that her parents were like, you're not keeping this baby, you know. The father was nowhere to be seen, he's back at, at school, and I was considered mixed race, and so, um, that's why I was on the sale table. <laughs> so, imagine that. She could have she kept me, and would I be here right now? Would I be married to my wife and have two daughters? Would Water 4 be? Well, would Water, I mean, what's the story there? You can go back to the, you know, it's a wonderful life, you know, with Jimmy Stewart, um, of the different paths that we could have taken now. That's a special story being adopted, and, but for each of us, you look back in your lives and that one little tweak that could have happened that you wouldn't be here right now, a job, a, 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 an opportunity, an illness, whatever it might have been, it could have been anything, and you wouldn't be here right now. So I feel like I've been given this great opportunity as, a, as an adopted kid of God. And I really believe that, and I believe that I can do anything. So I, I look at that, where I am today, standing up here with my buddy, um, and the providence that happened, and it's, it gives me the encouragement to just go. You know, it's so unlikely that Water 4 came to be, that millions of people have gotten clean water, but I have the encouragement and courage to just go, because my dad says, just go. Look what I've done for you. I've set you up. Same with all of us out here. Just go. We have that opportunity to just go and have the comfort of what Cliff just said of our dad saying, you can do this. Just go. Just go and do this. And if you fail, what? you know, when my little grandson falls down, he cries. What do I say? You're stupid. Blah, blah, blah. No. You just, you reach down and pick him up and say, come on, you can do this. That's how we all should feel on our second adoption that we've all had the opportunity to, to experience. So there you go. Awesome. Now, again, we, we'll clean this up on the tape later, but uh, <laughs> think of the commitment of his parents to him. He's on the sale table, maybe. <laughs> it's not Dick's commitment to the family. It's their commitment to him. It's these two people that decide wherever this little boy's from, whatever's happened, whatever we experience in the future, he's ours. It's just amazing. Did you ever connect? I, I don't, I don't know. Did you ever connect that your mother was 19 
when she was pregnant with you and you became a Christian when you became 19? Have you never connected that? I just heard that. Didn't y'all hear that? Something there. (laughs) That the idea of nobody says, you know, hey, adopt me. These are little babies. It's on the initiative, the commitment of the parent. Listen, Paul is referring to us here. We're being led into this spirit of adoption, not the spirit of slavery, not the spirit of you got to earn your keep or you got to work for us. But we've Paul is saying here, you've received the spirit of sonship. You've been adopted into this world by God. Now, let me let me give you some background on this, because this is really important. I just want you to see the distinction. You've not received the spirit of slavery to fear again. Slaves live by production. Slaves live by what they can do. Slaves give by their performance. Sons and daughters live because of who they are, who they are. My dad, your dads, our families, we're part of that family because that's our family. Now, in the ancient world, there was a rather extensive ceremony called uh, the Patria Protesta. That when a child was adopted, the original family would be here. And the adoptive father or family would be over here. And they would go through three, two different matters. They'd put everything on the scales. This was symbolic of this child. And they'd put money on the scales and all their debts and all their things and like that. And then they would be, get ready to make the sale to the adoptive parent. And the original parents would say, no, we're not doing it. And they did this twice. This was part of the ceremony. It was twice of buying, selling and buying, but they would stop. On the third time, on the third time, they would then cause the transaction. And the child now was bought or purchased by the new family. And all the debts that they had were gone. All of their life in the past was erased. Their actual participation in the new family was absolutely cemented now. They were now an adopted child. Now, let me tell you how how serious the Romans took this. And this is part of Paul's imagery here. Part of Paul's understanding is this, that when a child was adopted in, they were considered to be of the bloodline of the family. Here's an example. This was so serious that there wasn't any like, oh, you're an adopted child. I heard heard a story one time when two little kids, one had been adopted and the other one was naturally born. They asked their dad. They started fighting among themselves. I'm adopted. No, you're not. You know how kids kind of do. And so they asked their dad. They said, Dad, which one of us is adopted? He got down on his knees and looked at both those boys and goes, I don't remember. (laughs) Nero, who was a Roman emperor, but he was adopted by Claudius. At one point in his life was adopted by Claudius. Claudius had a daughter that Nero, shock, fell in love with. (laughs) And when he became emperor, he wanted to become or he wanted to marry her. And the Roman Senate would not allow it because it says you're blood brothers and blood sisters. That's how serious it was. That this idea that you've not just been brought in as some second class child or second class person. But Paul says you have been brought in as a full, if you will, status child. And so here's what I want you to consider this week real quick on this, where you're not being led. What if this week when you use your GPS, I got a new name for it. I'm not trying to be silly here. For direction, you pause and reflect that you can be led by God's personal spirit. What if this week you say, this week I can be led by God's personal spirit spirit. Where will you not be led? To fear. fear. It's not where you're going. It's not where you're going to be led. Where will you be led? To the spirit of what? Adoption, sonship, daughtership, that you'll be able to know where am I being led? I got to hurry on this one still. This is the second thing we can expect from God. Assurance. Look at verse 16. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now, I want to start. This, this may take a while. Uh, because notice what it says. The Spirit Himself testifies with, with our Spirit. I want you to underline that word, that conjunction, or that uh, preposition, with. With our Spirit. <clears throat> that we're the children of God. 
Paul declares here that we can not only know we're led by the Spirit into the spirit of adoption, but we also have the assurance of our standing. The assurance. In the adoption ceremony, this is kind of interesting. In the adoption ceremony, there were seven witnesses that stood in that ceremony to ensure that this was legally carried out. Some have said that one of the reasons why there were seven witnesses was because if in the future, when the father died or the mother died or others died, if there was ever a contention as to whether or not this child was actually adopted, there were seven witnesses. Now, maybe one's died, so there's six. But Paul says here, there is someone witnessing to your being a child, none other than the Spirit of God. Watch this. The Spirit testifies or gives witness to that we're the children of God. Now, I, I got a strange way my brain works here. I've been in ministry long enough and a pastor for a while and been with people that this verse comforts some and disturbs others. When it says the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. I've told my students before that this, uh, this matter of the Spirit's witness. Some would say to people, you know, do you know you're saved? And they go, well, I don't. Well, you're not. What do you mean? Well, you don't have the assurance of salvation. So if you don't have the assurance of salvation, you're not saved. You ever heard this? I've heard people say this. You know, I've heard people say, if you don't know the day and the time when you got saved, you're not Christian. I think, well, poor, poor Billy Graham's wife, Ruth Bell Graham, said she couldn't ever get the right time. You know, was it 427 or 428? You know. But this idea of assurance. Can we expect from God assurance? Well, let me say again. <clears throat> I think this is all connected. If you got the spirit of the slave, it's going to be a little unlikely that you're going to have the assurance of the spirit. Why? Because the slave lives... By production. The slave or the orphan lives by what they can do. So if everything's going great, wonderful. I got assurance, got assurance, got assurance. But that thing starts slowing down. All kinds of problems. And I've just noticed, this is my opinion. You, you don't have to agree with it. I just know there are some people that I know and have met that have no reason for assurance. And yet they got it. You ever done this? I have some family, not on Becky's side, my side. I know I'll give Becky's family a hard time. On the Sanders side, that for all objective reasons, there would be no reason to have the assurance of salvation. This way, have an aunt. <clears throat> She's dead now. <clears throat> she would say the most hateful, harsh, rude, mean things you ever heard. And never participated with much of a family of believers. And, and you'd, you'd say to her, Virginia, do you know that you're going to... And she'd say this, my mother raised me right. And I know because my mother raised me right, I'm going to heaven. And I would want to say, not I wouldn't do that as a, as a nephew, but I'd want to say, it's one thing being raised right, it's another thing to live right. Her confidence was in Meemaw. That was our grandmother. Grandmother. And I'm just telling you, her life would have almost no evidence. And yet she was as sure as could be. I've met other people whose lives clearly indicated that they were a follower of Jesus and living for him and lack assurance. Isn't that weird? have all the evidence in their life. If you asked the question or you looked at their life and you say, but they don't, listen, it, it says something. Watch this. He bears witness with our spirit. Can I ask you to consider this? Some of us have broken spirits. Some of us have been broken in spirit. We don't feel good about ourselves. We don't think we ever measure up. We keep driving ourselves all the time to perform that maybe we'll feel better. Or maybe someone will finally think we're of some value. 
And one of my professors at Asbury, Dr. David Seaman, says, the Spirit of God doesn't just overpower you. He wants to witness with your spirit. It's because it's too uneven. It's too uneven. There are people I know whose lives bear the evidence they're a child of God, and they have little or no assurance. Right? You seen this? Or others who seem life have nothing to show for it and have all kinds of arrogance and, if you will, assurance. What is that? I want to suggest to you that it might be that we lack assurance at times, sometimes, because we have a broken spirit or because we've been raised a certain way that we think that if we don't measure up or we don't do well. Maybe you're a perfectionist. Not only in your religion, but in your life. I have a friend like that. I said to him one time, I said, when you mow the yard, it has to be perfect. Right? So I want to ask you to consider something. There are seven witnesses at the adoption ceremony. I spent two weeks on this. I think there are seven witnesses that you're a child of God. Here they are. Here's a, you can write them down. Here's the assurance. The witnesses to your adoption. <clears throat> Number one, the Holy Spirit. He says right here, He testifies to our spirit that we're the children of God. I believe that happens. I believe it can happen. I think sometimes we're just not quiet enough or calm enough to allow God to just say to you, you're my child. You may have all kinds of problems and difficulties, but you're my child. Number two, God's word. To as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. John 1, 9. To as many as received him, to them he gave the right. The Greek word there, exousia, is authority. He gave them the authority to become children of God. So if you receive Jesus, you're his. Third, the love of the brethren. 1 John chapter 3, <clears throat> verses 10 and 14 says this. We know we've passed from death unto life because we love the brethren and the cistern. <laughs> That's a variant reading in the Greek New Testament there. 1 John 3, 10 and 14. He says this, By this we know that we're born of God because we love the bread. You love anybody in here? You have Christian friends you love that are so valuable to you that you would just do anything? Hey, this is an evidence. Here's one of the witnesses, okay? Like at the seven Patria Protesta. Okay, one of them isn't working today. One of them left for work. Somebody says, you're not adopted. Oh, yes, I am. I have the love of the brethren. Number, number, th number, whatever. Where am I? Four? Four. Thank you. Keep me work. Here we go. Fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 16, you'll know them by their fruits. Is there any fruit in your life? Hey, I'd say one thing is you have a desire for God. You're right here this morning. Is there a desire? Is there fruit in your life that you say, I want to serve others? I want to tell others about Jesus. I'd like, to, I'd like to, to communicate with others. I'd like to help water for other mission groups to, to help people get know about Jesus. So the fruit of the Spirit. Number four, number five. <laughs> Reformed desires. My dad said this, and I think it's true, and I think we all struggle. I mean, we're all tempted. But my dad said this, he said, Cliff, I started loving the things I hated. And I started hating the things I used to love. You know, I, I've sinned in the last month, I guess. A couple of times last week. But <laughs> you, you remember before you were a follower of Jesus when you said, ah, well, you know, big deal. I don't know if I knew it was sin. Now you hate it. Now you hate it. It breaks your heart. It grieves you. That's an evidence of being adopted. That whenever sin occurs, it's not blown off. It's not just something simple. You just say, you know what? That grieves me because that's the name of the God that I love. Number six. Spiritual empowerment for ministry. 1 Corinthians 12. By the way, did I give you a verse on reformed desires? Galatians 5, 6. Faith working through love. 
Galatians 5, 6. Faith working through love. Spiritual gifts for empowerment. 1 Corinthians 12. I got, to, I got to that and got stuck. And I kept thinking of Scripture and working through the passage. And, and I kept, kept saying, what else is there? You know, I, I, as a teacher, I'd like to find seven. I'm not going to make the Bible do that. But then I just started reflecting and praying and thinking about my own life and people I know. And this is so counterintuitive. This one's important. Here's the seventh one. A deepening... A deepening sense of dependence on God. A deepening sense. I'm telling you, I am so more aware of my dependence on Jesus now when I'm 63 than when I was 23. It's not even in the same ballpark. I am not less dependent. I am more dependent. I know without him, this, this, this isn't just a verse anymore with John 15, 5. I am the vine and you are the branch and he who abides in me will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I believe that. I didn't believe that when I was 23. I didn't think I believed that when I was 33. A deepening sense. Of deep, isn't that weird? I thought the, when I, after I became a Christian and grew up, I'd have all the answers and I'd know everything and I have it all figured out. I told you one thing. I don't, I don't even think I know how to pray anymore. I just go to God and say, have you got anything to say here? <laughs> Cause I don't know what to say anymore. I'm just here. Cause I want to be with you. This deep, listen, listen. Now the evidence here is Oswald Chambers. <laughs> the spiritual life. There's an absolute sense of need. We come across things that try us or circumstances that perplex us. And it awakens in us a dumb sense of need. Which is a sign that the Holy Spirit is there. If we're ever free from a sense of need. It's not because the Holy Spirit has satisfied that but because we've been satisfied with something else. You, you don't feel the Holy Spirit assurance all the time? Go to one of those seven witnesses. One of those seven witnesses will say to you, you're a child of God. You may not feel it. You may not sense it because it says again, it has to bear witness with our spirit. I'm going to stop right here because I got a song. I keep saying we're going to listen. Yes. Go ahead. You don't hate it, but go ahead. No. <laughs> See, I did it again. Yeah. Yes. We're going to. Yeah. Yeah. That's the next one, John. We're going to go there on this. The last one's an inheritance. I want you to listen to this song. This matter of being adopted and having assurance. This matter of adopted and having assurance. This is a song. You may want to look at the lyrics. If you've got your phone, pull them up. I thought I'd have them. But it's called, Arise, My Soul, Arise. Shake off thy guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in thy behalf appears. Before the throne, my surety stands. Before the throne, my surety stands. My name is written in his hands. Five bleeding wounds he receives there on Calvary. They plead effectual prayer for me. I want you to listen to this. This is a great song. It comes from Charles about adoption. Arise, my soul, arise. Shake off thy guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in my behalf
Okay, I want you to stand up. I want you to rise. I want us to put our muscles with our mouth. <laughs> that, that line that says, arise my soul, arise. Shake off your guilty fears. So as we pray, I want you to use this time as you stand in, in your body, that in your soul, to stand up. I want you to arise and shake off guilty fears. You're his child and we cry, Abba. So we pray, Lord Jesus, our Father, Abba, we come to you today to receive what we can only receive from you is being led by your spirit of having this adoption and assurance that only comes from you. So we stand and we arise. And in this gesture, we say to you, we're going to receive from you what we can expect from you, which is the assurance that we are your children. We arise this day and every day to live this out in Jesus' strong name and in the name of our Abba, our Daddy, Father, we pray. Amen.